Chapter Fifty Seven of Donal Grant. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Devora Allen. Donal Grant, by George MacDonald. Chapter Fifty Seven, The Housekeeper's Room. As the clock upon the schoolroom chimney-piece struck the hour, Arctura entered, and at once took her seat at the table with Davy, much to the boy's wonder and pleasure. Donal gave her a Euclid, and set her a task. She began at once to learn it, and after a while so brief that Davy stared incredulous, said, "'If you please, Mr. Grant, I think I could be questioned upon it now.' Less than a minute sufficed to show Donal that she thoroughly understood what she had been learning, and he set her then a little more." By the time their work was over, he had not a doubt left that such like intellectual occupation would greatly subserve all phases of her health. With entireness she gave herself to the thing she had to do, and Donal thought how strong must be her nature, to work so calmly and think so clearly after what she had gone through that morning. School over, and Davy gone to his rabbits. Mistress Brooks invites us to supper with her, said Lady Arctura. I asked her to ask us. I don't want to go to bed till I am quite sleepy. You don't mind, do you? I am very glad, my lady, responded Donal. Don't you think we had better tell her all about it? As you think fit. The secret is in no sense mine. It is only yours, and the sooner it ceases to be a secret, the better for all of us. I have but one reason for keeping it, she returned. Your uncle? Yes. I know he will be annoyed, but there may be other reasons why I should reveal the thing. "'There may, indeed,' said Donal. "'Still, I should be sorry to offend him more than I cannot help. "'If he were a man like my father, I should never dream of going against him. "'I should, in fact, leave everything to him he cared to attend to. "'But seeing he is the man he is, it would be absurd. "'I dare not let him manage my affairs for me much longer. "'I must understand for myself how things are going. "'You will not, I hope, arrange anything without the presence of a lawyer. "'I fear I have less confidence in your uncle than you have.' Arctura made no reply, and Donal was afraid he had hurt her. But the next moment she looked up with a sad smile, and said, "'Well, poor man, we will not compare our opinions of him. He is my father's brother, and I shall be glad not to offend him. But my father would have reason to be dissatisfied if I left everything to my uncle, as if he had not left everything to me. If he had been another sort of man, my father would surely have left the estate to him.' At nine o'clock they met in the housekeeper's room low-ceilinged, large, lined almost round with oak presses, which were Mistress Brooks's delight. She welcomed them as to her own house, and made an excellent hostess. But Donal would not mix the tumbler of toddy she would have had him take. For one thing, he did not like his higher to be operated upon from his lower. It made him feel as if possessed by a not altogether real self. But the root of his objection lay in the teaching of his mother— the things he had learned of his parents were to him his patent of nobility, vouchers that he was honorably descended. Of his birth he was as proud as any man. And hence this night he was led to talk of his father and mother, and the things of his childhood. He told Arctura all about the life he had led, how at one time he kept cattle in the fields, at another sheep on the mountains, how it came that he was sent to college, and all the story of Sir Gibby. The night wore on. Arctura listened, did nothing but listen. She was enchanted. 
and it surprised Donal himself to find how calmly he could now look back upon what had seemed to threaten an everlasting winter of the soul. It was indeed the better thing that Ginevra should be Gibby's wife. A pause had come, and he had fallen into a brooding memory of things gone by, when a sudden succession of quick knocks fell on his ear. He started, strangely affected. Neither of his companions took notice of it, though it was now past one o'clock. It was like a knocking with knuckles against the other side of the wall of the room. "'What can that be?' he said, listening for more. "'Hard you never that afore, Master Grant,' said the housekeeper. "'I ha' grown so used to it my ears hardly take notice of it.' "'What is it?' asked Donal. "'Aye, what is it? Tell me that, gin ye can,' she returned. "'It's just a chappin, and God's truth it's all I can about the same. "'It comes, I believe I'm safe to say, ilka night, but I couldna take my earth upon it. I have so entirely dropped paying any attention to it. There's things about many an old house, Mr. Grant, it'll take the day of judgment to explain em. But so long as they keep to their own side of the wall, I do not see I need trouble my head about them. After the experience I had as a young lass, away down in England yonner, at a place my auntie got me until, for she kenned a heap of grand folk through being herself so near connected with them as housekeeper in the castle here. After that I'm saying, I wouldna need to be that easy scared. "'What was it?' said Lady Arctura. "'I don't think you ever told me.' "'No, my dear lady. "'I would have never thought of telling you any such story, "'so long as you was o'er young not to be frighted at it. "'For deed, I think they're muckle to blame "'it tells bairns the very things they're not fit to hear, "'and fix the dread for the since. "'But I should tell you the no, gin ye care to hear. "'It's a some awesome story, "'but there's something uncle foolish like into it as well. "'I canna say I think muckle of creatures "'that tribble their heads about their heads.' but that's telling aforehand. Here the good woman paused thoughtful. "'I am longing to hear your story, Mistress Brooks,' said Donal, supposing she needed encouragement. "'I'm but thinking how to begin,' she returned, "'so as to gie ye a right hold of the thing. "'I'm thinking I cannot do better nor just tell it as it came to myself. "'Well, you see, I was but a young lass about, "'well, I might be twenty, more or less, "'when I get to the place I spake of.' It was away upon the borders of Wales, like as gin folk o'er there in Perth were doubtful whether sich and such a place was in the Haylands or the Lowlands. The maester of the house was a young man away upon his travels, I cannot where, somewhere upon the continent, but that's a mickle word. And as he had the intention of being away for some time to come, no caring to settle down offhand and look after his inn, there was but one gay old woman to housekeep, and me to help her, and a man or two about the place to look after the garden, and that was all. House and garden was to let and was in the hands of one of the agents, as they call them, for the same purpose, to let, that is, for a term of years. Well, one day there came a gentleman to look at the place, and he was so well pleased with it, as well he might, for eh, it was a bonny place. I laughing like, where this place is I in the sulks. Nah, not I. I didn't mean that, my lady, forgetting that it's yours. But you mon own it takes a heap of sun to guard this old house here look anything but some dower, and I beg your pardon, my lady." "'You are quite right, Mistress Brooks,' said Arctura, with a smile. "'If it were not for you, it would be dour, dour. "'You do not know, Mr. Grant. "'Mistress Brooks herself does not know how much I owe her. "'I should have gone out of my mind for very dreariness a hundred times but for her.' "'The short and the long of it was,' resumed Mistress Brooks, "'that the place was lit and the place was tin, "'mickle to the satisfaction of all parties concerned. "'The old housekeeper, she being a fixture-like, was to bide, "'and I was to bide as well,' under the housekeeper, and have nothing to do with the stranger servants. They came. There was a gentleman, of a middle age, and his lady some younger nor himself, 
handsome but no bonny but that has nothing to do with my tale and i should take up your time with it and it growing some late never mind the time mistress brooks said arctura we can do just as we please about that one time is as good as another isn't it mr grant i sometimes sit up half the night myself said donal i like to know god's night only it won't do often lest we make the brain which is god's too like a watch that won't go it's sair upsetting to the work said the housekeeper what would the house be like if i was to do that do go on please mistress brooks said arctura please do echoed donal sir and my lady i'm ready to sit till the cocks be done crawing and the day done dawn to pleasure the one or the two o ye and so for my true tale they were very decent well-behaved folk with a fine family some grown and some growin it was just a favour to see sic a halesome clan for it ought teen or their way down to the wee toddlin lassie was the very apple o the eye to all the ain about the place but that's neither here nor yet there all goed on as all should gang on where the servants are no o'er grand for their own work nor o'er meddlesome with the work o their neighbours nothing was neglected nor anything girned about but all was peace and harmony as quo the old sang about our bonny kilmeny that is till one night ye see i'm tellin ye as it came to myself and not till another as i lay in my bed that night and ye may be sure at my age i lay no longer nor just to turn me o'er once and in general not that once just as i was fallin asleep up gat such a rummage in the servant hall strut aneath where i was lyin and i thought to myself what upon earth's come to the place gin it be no the day o judgment truth is no the day o small things i said it was as gin all the chairs and tables together were bein rooted out o their places and signs set back again and the tables turned heels o'er head and all the glass and all the plate for the dinner knocked about as gin they had been so many hailstones that were not wanted any mair but might just lie where they fell i couldna for the life o me think what it might be token save and except a general frenzy had seized upon man and woman in the house i got up in a hurry whatever was goin on i would not willingly gang wantin my share o the sight and just as i opened my door who should i hear but the maister cryin at the head o the stair what in the name o all it's holy says he is the meanin o this and i ran till him out o the passage and through the swing door into the great corridor and says i deed sir i was wonderin and wi your leave sir i'll gang and see i said gatherin my shawl about me as well as i could to hide what was aneath it or rather what was not aneath it for i had not them ugle on but says he no no you must not go who knows what it may be i'll go myself they may be robbers and the men fightin them you stop where you are sayin that he was halfways down the stair i stood where i was lookin down and hearkenin and the noise still goin on but he could but a one the length of the hall when it stop it all at once and all together you may think what a din it mun a been when i tell you the quiet that came upon the heels of it just seemed to sting my two lugs the same moment i heard the maister cryin to me to come down i ran and when i reached the servants hall where he stood just inside the door i stood aside him and glowered for would you believe me the place was as decent and still as any kirkyard in the moonlight there was not a thing out of its place nor an air o dist nor the smallest disorder to be seen all the things look as gin they had settled themselves to sleep as usual and had sleep until we came and waked them the maister glowered at me and i glowered at the maister but all he said was a false alarm you see rose what he thought i cannot tell but without another word we turned and gowed up the stair again together at the tap of the stair the long corridor ran away into the dark forest for the candle the maister carried flung not light half to the end of it and for out of the murk on a sudden 
came to meet us a rampaging and a rattling like a score of note running away with her iron tethers about their necks, sick a rattling of iron chains as he never heard, and groaning and a grunting just fearsome. Again we stood, and looked at one another, and my word, but the maester's face was enough to fright a body of itself, let alone the thing we heard and saw nothing to account for. "'Gang away back to your bed, Rose,' he said. "'This'll never do.' "'And how are you to help it, sir?' said I. "'That I cannot tell,' answered he. "'But I wouldn't for the world your mistress heard it. "'I left her fast asleep, and I hope she'll sleep through it. "'Did you ever hear anything strange about the house before we came?' "'Never, sir,' said I. "'As sure as I stand here shivering. "'For the night was in the simmer, and warm to that degree, "'and yet I was shivering as in the cold fit of a fever, "'and my mouth would hardly consent to make the words I sought to frame.' "'We stood like mice afore the cap for a minute or two, "'but there came nothing more.' and by degrees we grew a kind of ashamed, like as gin we had been doubtful as to whether we had heard anything. And when again he said to me gang to my bed, I go to my bed, and was not long upon the road, for fear I would hear anything more, and into my bed and my head aneath the clothes and lay trembling. But there was none more of it that night, and I was not o'er or come to fall asleep. In the morning I told the housekeeper all about it, but she held her tongue in a manner that was, to say the least of it, very strange. She didn't laugh, nor she did not grew, nor yet glower, nor yet she did not say the thing was nonsense, but she just heard and heard, and said not a word. I thought with myself, is it possible she does not believe me? But I could not make that out either. So as she held her tongue, I just pulled the bridle of mine, and vowed there should never be another word said by me till once she spake herself. And I would sooner had enough of holding my tongue, but I had not to hold it to anybody but her. And I came to the conclusion that she was feared to be in speared questions by them it had a right to spear them for that she had heard of something afore, and kenned mair nor she was at liberty to speak about. But that was only the beginning, and little to what followed. For for that night there was not one night past but some one or two disturbed, and whiles it was past abiding. The noises and the rumblings, and above all the clanking of chains that goed on in that house, and the groans and the cries, and whiles the whistling, and what was most worn nor all, the laughing, was something dreadful, and a yont believing to any but them it was into it. I sometimes think maybe the terror of it makes it look war in the recollection nor it was, but I cannot keep my senses and not believe there was something altogether by ordinary in the affair. And when, or long, it came to the knowledge of the lady, and she was waked up at night and heard the thing, whatever it was, and sign when the bairns were waked up, and I the rummage know in this room, know in that, so that the living would be crying as loud as the dead, though they could ill make such a din, it was beyond all bearing. And the maester made up his mind to flit at once, come out what might. For as I ought to a tell ye, he had written to the owner of the house that was my end master, for it was not a hair o' you saying anything further to the agent. He only laugh, and declared it mon be some of his own folk was playing tricks upon him, which it angered him to hear, being as impossible as it was false. So straight away to his landlord he wrote, as I say, but as he was travelling about on the continent, he supposed either the letter had not reached him, and never would reach him, or he was sheltering himself under the idea they would think he had never had it, not wanting to move in the matter. But the very day he had made up his mind that nothing should make him spend another week in the house, for Monday nights were always the worst, there came a letter from the gentleman, saying that only that same hour that he was writing had he received the maester's letter. And he was sorry he had not had it before, but prayed him to put up with things till he got to him, and he would start at the farthest in two days more, and would set the thing right in less time than it would take to tell him what was amiss. A strange enough letter, to be sure. Mr. Harper, that was their butler, told me he had read every word of it. And so, as, not to mention the terrors of the night, 
The want of rest was like to ruin us altogether. We were all on the outlook for the appearance of our promised deliverer, so cocksure of setting things straight again. Well, at last, and that was in a very few days, though they look it long to summon that house, he appeared, a nice-looking gentleman, with so sweet a smile it was not hard to believe whatever he'd tell you. And he had a light, airy way with him that was to us oppressed creatures strangely comforting, ill as it was to believe he could ken what had been going on and treat it in that fashion. However, and now, my lady, and Mr. Grant, I had to tell you what the butler told me, for I wasn't at present to hear for myself. Maybe he wouldn't have told me, but that he wasn't an old man, though twice my age, and seemed to have taken a liking to me, though it never came to anything. And as I was always civil to any person that was civil to me, and never went farther than was becoming, he made me the return of talking to me at times, and tell me what he knew. The young gentleman was to stop and lunch with the master, and in the meantime would have a glass of wine and a biscuit, and pulling a bunch of keys from his pocket, he desired Mr. Harper to take a certain one, and go to the door that was locked inside the wine cellar, and bring a bottle from a certain bin. Harper took the key, and was just going from the room, when he heard the visitor, though in truth he was more at home there than any of us, heard him say, "'I'll tell you what you've been doing, sir, and you will tell me whether I'm not right.' Here in that, the butler drew the door to, but not that close, and made no haste to leave it, and so heard what followed. "'I'll tell you what you've been doing,' says he. "'Didn't you find a man's head, a skull, I mean, upon the premises?' "'Well, yes, I believe we did, when I think of it,' says the master. "'For my butler,' and there was the butler outside a listening to the whole tale. "'My butler came to me one morning, saying, "'Look here, sir, that is what I found in a little box, "'close by the door of the wine-cellar. "'It's a skull.' "'Oh,' said I, it was the maester that was speaking. "'It'll be some medical student has brought it home to the house.' "'So he asked me what he had better do with it. "'And you told him,' interrupted the gentleman, "'to bury it.' "'I did. It seemed the proper thing to do.' "'I hadn't a doubt of it,' said the gentleman. "'That is the cause of all the disturbance.' "'That?' says the master. "'That and nothing else,' answers the gentleman. "'And with that, as Harper confessed when he told me, "'there came o'er him such a horror "'that he dared no longer stand at the door, "'but for going down to the cellar to fetch the bottle of wine, "'that was merely beyond his human faculty.' As it happed, I met him on the stair, as white as a sheet and ready to drop. "'What's the matter, Mr. Harper?' said I, and he told me all about it. "'Come along,' I said. "'We'll go to the cellar together. It's broad daylight, and there's nothing to hurt us.' So he went down. "'There, that's the box the thing was lying in,' said he, as we came out of the wine-cellar. And with that came a groan out of the very ground at our feet. We both heard it, and stood shaken and dumb, gripping one another.' "'I'm sure I don't know what in the name of heaven it can all mean,' said he. "'But that was when we were on the way up again.' "'Did you show any disrespect?' said I. "'No,' said he. "'I but buried it, as I would anything else that had to be putting out of sight.' "'And as we were talking together, that was at the top of the cellar stair, "'there came a great ringing at the bell, and said he, "'They're wondering what's come of me and their wine, and will they may. "'I'm on run.' "'As soon as he entered the room,' And this again you may see, my lady and Mr. Grant, he tell me afterwards. "'Where did you bury the head you took for the cellar?' said his master till him, and speared not a word as to how he had been so long gone for the wine. "'I buried it in the garden,' answered he. "'I hope you know the spot,' said the strange gentleman. "'Yes, sir, I do,' said Harper. "'Then come and show me,' said he. So the three of them went out together and got a spade, and luckily the butler was able to show them at once the very spot. And the gentleman— he hawked up the skull with his own hands, careful not to touch it with the spade, 
and brought it back in his hand to the host, knocking the earth off it with his rough travelling gloves. But when Harper looked to be told to take it back to the place where he found it, and trembled at the thought, wondering how he was to get hold of me and nobody the wiser, for he didn't want to show fright in the daytime, to his great surprise, no small pleasure, the gentleman set the skull on the chimney-piece, and as lunch had been laid in the meantime, for Mr. Haywood, I had just gotten a grip of his name, had to be away again directly. He heard the whole story as he waited upon them. I suppose they thought it better he should hear and tell the rest, the sooner to gar them forget the terrors we had come through. Said the gentleman, Now you'll have no more trouble. If you do, write to me to the care of so-and-so, and I'll release you from your agreement. But please to remember that you brought it on yourself by interfering. I can't exactly say with my property, but with the property of one who knows how to defend it without calling in the aid of the law, which indeed would probably give him little satisfaction. It was the burying of that skull that brought on you all the annoyance. I always thought, said the master, the dead preferred having their bones buried. Their ghosts indeed, according to Cocker, either would not or could not lie quiet until their bodies were properly buried. Where then could be our offence? You may say what you will, answered Mr. Haywood, and I cannot answer you. "'or pretend to explain the thing. "'I only know that when that head is buried, "'these same disagreeables always begin.' "'Then is the head in the way of being buried and dug up again?' "'asked the master. "'I will tell you the whole story if you like,' answered his landlord. "'I would gladly hear it,' says he, "'for I would fain see daylight on the affair.' "'That I cannot promise you,' he said. "'But the story, as it is handed down in the family, you shall hear.' "'You may be sure, my lady, Harper was wide awake to hearken.' and the more that he might tell it again in the hall. Somewhere about a hundred and fifty years ago, Mr. Haywood began, on a cold, stormy night, there came to the hall door a poor peddler, a travelling merchant, you know, my lady, with his pack on his back, and would fain have parted with some of his goods to the folk of the hall. The butler, who must have been a rough sort of man, they were rough times, those, told him they wanted nothing he could give them, and to go about his business. But the man, who was something obstinate, I dare say, and it may well be anxious to get shelter, as much for the night being girly as to sell his goods, keep it on begging and imploring to let the women-folk at the least look at what he had brought. At last the butler, out of all patience with the man, gave him a great shove away for the door, so that the poor man fell down the steps, and banged the door to, nor ever look it to see whether the man got up again or no. In the morning, the peddler they found him lying dead in a little wood or shawl, not far from the house. And with that up got the cry, and what said they but that the butler had murdered him? So up he was ta'en and put upon his trial for it. And whether the man was not liked in the countryside I cannot tell, said the gentleman. But the cry was against him, and things went the wrong way for him, and that, though no one about the house believed he had done the deed, more than he might have caused his death by pushing him down the steps. And even that he could hardly have intended, but only to get quit of him. And likely enough the man was weak, perhaps ill, and the weight of his pack on his back pulled him as he pushed. Still, after and all, and it's my sale that's saying this, not the gentleman, my lady. In a part of the country like that, gay and lonely, it was not the night to turn a fellow creature out in. The butler was at the same time an old and trusty servant, said Mr. Haywood, and his maester was greatly concerned about the thing. It is impossible at this time of day, he said, to understand how such a thing could be, in the total absence of direct evidence, but the short and the weary long of it was that the man was hanked, and hung in irons for the deed. And no, you may be thinking the ghost of the poor peddler began to haunt the house, but nothing of the kind. There was no disturbance of that or any other sort. The man was dead and buried, whoever did or did not kill him, and the body of him that was said to have killed him hung dangling in the wind, 
and neither of them said a word for or again the thing. But the heart of the man's maester was sore. He couldn't help I thinking that maybe he was to blame, and might have done something more nor he thought of at the time to get the poor man off, for he was absolutely certain that, however rough he might have been, and whoever he might have been the cause of death to the troublesome peddler, he had not meant to kill him. It was, in part at least, an accident, and he thought the hanging of him for it was hard lines. The maester was an old man, near hand outy, and took things the more seriously, I dare say, that he was not that far frae the grave they had sent the poor butler till afore his time. Gin that could be said a one whose grave was with the weathercock. And I he took himself to task as to whether he ought not to have done something more. Gone to the king, maybe, for he couldn't abide the thought of the poor man that had waited upon him so long and faithful, hanging and swinging up there, and the flesh dropping off of the bones of him, and still the bones hanging there, and swinging and creaking and crying. The thought, I say, was sair upon the old man. But the time passed, and I kenna how long or how short it may take for a body in sick a position to come asunder, but at last the bones began to drop, and as they drop it, there they lay, at the foot of the gallows, for nobody cared to meddle with them. And when that came to the knowledge of the old gentleman, he sent his folk to gather them up, and bury them out of sight, and what was left of the body, the upper part, holding together with the irons, maybe, I cannot will how, hung and swung there still in ilk wind that blew. But at the last, out of sorrow and respect for the dead, however he died, his old master sent quietly one merk knight, and had the lave of the bones ta'en down and laid in the earth. But for that moment, think ye there was any peace in the house? A clank and a chains got up, and a howling, and a complaining and a creaking like in the wind, sick a stramish altogether, that the house was not fit to be lived in whiles, though it was sometimes word nor other times, and some thought it had to do with the air the wind blew. About that I came nothing. But it got on like that for months, maybe years. Mr. Harper was not sure how long the gentleman said till the old man most wished himself in of the grave and out of the trouble. At last one day came an old man to see him, not so old as himself, but one he had kenned when they were at the college together. And this was a man that had travelled greatly, and was well learnt in a heap of things ordinary folk that gives themselves to the land, and to the growing of corn and beasts, is not likely to ken muckle about. He saw his old friend was in trouble, and did not carry his age calm-like as was natural, and so speared him what was the matter and he told him the whole story, fra the hangin' to the bangin'. "'Well,' said the learned man, when he had heard all, "'gin ye'll take my advice, ye'll just send and hook up the head, and take it into the house with ye, and let it bide there where it was used so long to be. Do that, and it's my opinion ye'll hear no more of sick unruly goings-on.' The old gentleman took the advice, kennin' no better. But it was the right advice, for fra that moment the rumour was o'er. They had no more of it. They laid the head in a decent bit box in the cellar, and there it remained, well content there to abide the day of that judgment that'll sent many another judgment to the right about. Though what pleasure could be into that cellar, mare nor into a hole in the earth, is a thing not for me to say. So with that generation there was no more trouble. But in the course of time came first one and sent another, who forgot, maybe left at the whole affair, and did not believe a word of the same. But they are but fools that gang again the experience of the forebears, what would ye have but they would bury the head? And what would come of that but an old dismay hit up again? Up get the din, the rampage and the clanking and all, just the same as four. But the minute that, frighted at the consequences of their folly, they acknowledged the property of the ghost in his own head, and took it out of the earth and into the house again, all was quiet directly, quiet as heart could desire. So that was the story. 
and when the lunch was o'er, and Mr. Harper was thinking the moment come when they would order him to take the head, and him trembling at the thought of touching it, and lay it where it was, and where it had so often been when it had a soul into it, the gentleman got up, and he says to him, "'Be so good,' says he, "'as fetch me my hat-box from the hall.' Harper went and got it as desired, and the gentleman took and unlocked it, and round he turned where he stood, and up he took the skull through the chimney-piece, neither as guinea loved it nor feared it, as what reason had he to do either, and handled it neither roughly nor with any show of mickle care, but into the hat-box it goed willy-nilly, and the lid shutting down upon it, and the key turned in the lock of it, and as gin he would make the thing right sure o' not being put in again where it had sick an objection to gang, up he took in his hand the hat-box, and the contrary head in the inside of it, and away with him on his travels, here away and there away o'er the face of the globe. He was on his way to Spain, he said at the moment, and we saw no more o' him nor the head, nor heard ever a son more o' clankin' nor gurnin' nor any other unholy din. And that's the truth. Make of it what you like, my lady and Mr. Grant. Mistress Brooks was silent, and for some time not a syllable was uttered by either listener. At last Donal spoke. It is a strange story, Mistress Brooks, he said, and the stranger that it would show some of the inhabitants of the other world, apparently as silly after a hundred and fifty years as when first they arrived there. I can say nothing in it that, sir, answered Mistress Brooks. I'm not accountable for any inference that's to be drawn from it or true tale, and doubtless, sir, ye ken far better nor me. But where you see many folk draw out the thread of a long life, and never one sensible thing that they could help, Donner said, what for should you wonder gin no and then one in the other world show himself sick like? When you consider the heap of folk that dies, and how there mun be so many more in the other world nor in this, I confess for my part, I wonder more it were left at peace at all, and that they come not swarming about us in the night, like black doves. You'll maybe say they cannot, and you'll maybe say they come, but so long as they plague me no war nor our friend upon the tither side of the wall, I cannot say that I care that mickle. But I think whiles how the ghosts mun laugh at them at laughs as gin there were no such creatures in the world. For my part, I neither fear them nor seek to them. I'll be one within myself afore long. Only I would sair wuss and hope to gang in among better behaved ones nor them at gangs about plaguing folk. You speak the best of sense, Mistress Brooks, said Donal. But I should like to understand why the poor hanged fellow should have such an objection to having his skull laid in the ground. Why had he such a fancy for his old bones? Could he be so closely associated with them that he could not get on without the plenty of fresh air they got him used to when they hung on the gallows? And why did it content him to have only his head above ground? It is bewildering. We couldn't believe our bones rise again, even if Paul hadn't as good as told us they don't. Why should the dead haunt their bones as if to make sure of having their own again? But, said Mistress Brooks, begging your pardon, sir, what can ye as to what they think? Ye may ken better, but maybe they do not. For I not ye just allow that such conduct as I describe it is no fit, whoever be guilty of the same, whether rowdy laddies in the street or creatures ye cannot see in the house. They may think they'll want their bones by and by, though ye ken better. And whatever ye wise folk may think they know, ye ken it's not that long sin Aubrey, I, the best of folk, thought the same. And there's not a doubt they all did at the time that man was hanged. And ye maun mind that in the house the head of him wouldn't a waste as it would in the yard. But why bother about his head more than the rest of his bones? Well, sir, I'm thinking a ghost, ghost though he be, cannot surely be in two places at once. He could never think to plague till ilk bone a finger and toe was gathered in the cellar. That would be hopeless. And thinking anything of his bones, he might well think most of his head, and keep an eye upon that. Not many ghosts have a chance of seeing so muckle of their bones as this one, 
or saying to themselves, "'Yon's mine where it swings.' "'Some ghosts have a cat-like nature for places, "'and what for no for bones? "'Money's the story that housekeeper, honest woman, tailed me. "'When what had come was gone, it set her opening out her pack. "'I could hold you there all night, telling you one after another of them. "'But it's time to gang to our beds.' "'It is our turn to tell you something,' said Lady Arctura. "'Only you must not mention it just yet. "'Mr. Grant has found the lost room.' For a moment Mrs. Brooks said nothing, but neither paled nor looked incredulous. Her face was only fixed and still, as if she were finding explanation in the discovery. "'I was I of the mind it was,' she said. "'And many's the time I thought I would look for it to please myself. It's small wonder, the songs and the raps and such like.' "'You will not change your mind when you hear all,' said Arctura. "'I asked you to give us our supper, because I was afraid to go to bed.' "'You shouldn't have told her, sir. "'I've seen it with my own eyes. "'You've been into it, my lady. "'What? "'What? "'It is a chapel. "'The old castle chapel. "'Mentioned, I know, somewhere in the history of the place, "'though no one, I suppose, ever dreamed the missing room could be that. "'And in the chapel,' continued Arctura, "'hardly able to bring out the words, "'for a kind of cramping of the muscles of speech, "'there was a bed, and in the bed,' the crumbling dust of a woman, and on the altar what was hardly more than the dusty shadow of a baby. "'The Lord be about us!' cried the housekeeper, her well-seasoned composure giving way. "'Ye saw that with your own eye, my lady. Mr. Grant, how could ye let her ladyship look upon such things?' "'I am her ladyship's servant,' answered Donal. "'That's very true, but uh, my bonny bairn, such sights is not for you.' "'I ought to know what is in the house,' said Arctura, with a shudder. "'But already I feel more comfortable that you know, too. "'Mr. Grant would like to have your advice as to what—' "'You'll come and see them, won't you?' "'When you please, my lady. "'Tonight?' "'No, no, not tonight. "'Was that the knocking again? "'Some ghosts want their bodies to be buried, though your butler—' "'I wouldn't wonder,' responded Mistress Brooks thoughtfully. "'Where shall we bury them?' asked Donal. "'In England,' said the housekeeper, "'I used to hear a heap about consecrated ground. "'But to my mind it was the bodies of God's handiwork, "'not the bishop that consecrated the ground. "'Where the Lord lays down what he is done with, "'would I be a sacred place to me. "'I dare say Moses, when he came upon it again in the desert, "'looked upon the ground where stood the bush where it burned, "'as a sacred place, though the fire was long out. "'Think na ye, Mr. Grant?' "'I do,' answered Donal. "'but I do not believe the Lord Jesus thought one spot on the face of the earth more holy than another. "'Every dust of it was his father's, neither more nor less, "'existing only by the thought of that father. "'And I think that is what we must come to. "'But where shall we bury them? "'Where they lie, or in the garden?' "'Some would doubtless have dust laid to dust in the kirkyard, "'but I would not willingly raise a clash in the countryside. "'Then that did it was your end forbears, my lady, "'and such things are well forgotten. "'And sign, what would the earl say?' "'It might upset him, Mariner, a bit. "'I'll consider of it.' "'Donal accompanied them to the door of the chamber, "'which again they shared, "'and then betook himself to his own high nest. "'There, more than once in what remained of the night, "'he woke, fancying he heard the ghost music "'sounding its coronach over the dead below. "'End of chapter 57 <laughs>